Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello, and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So Jamie just got done cracking the back of the man's skull with what looks like it may be the handle of a pistol. You couldn't quite tell it happened so quick and you were caught up in the moment of thinking that easily you could overcome this kind and take what you needed from him. But Jamie, ever reliable, stepped up in your moment of need. This man slumped down and she caught him underneath the armpits. You could see in her right hand is that pistol that she had hit him upside the back of the head with. And with that eerie strength that it seems someone of her size should not possess, she's able to drag him towards the car. His feet are sliding along the blacktop. And she kind of gives you this look that not a disrespected, not a disrespectful look, but almost a look like, are you going to help? And she's like, looks towards his feet. I run over and I uh, I grab his feet and I hoist him up and begin to help her throwing him into the back of the SUV. As you guys make your way to the back of the SUV, she kind of reaches out with her left hand and kind of pops the handle the back. And you see it slowly, like hydraulically, is able to go up a little bit on its own once she gives it a little lift up. You see within the back, it looks like that there's this interior to it, an upholstery that is tan in color. It almost looks like a very short shag carpet that you would see in a nice apartment. And it's about five feet wide and about seven feet long, the back of this Escalade. And she props him up almost sideways. Like she puts his head and shoulders first, but then she like kind of pivots him to where his head is towards the driver's side of the vehicle and which allows you to put your his feet there almost like he's curled up in the fetal position, facing away from you all. You can hear a snorting coming from his nose, almost like he's snoring or having a little bit of a hard time breathing. And you look, you can see the back of his head and you see a knot forming from the curly mass of hair that is along the nape of his neck and along his head, back of his head. But it doesn't look like it's bleeding at all, or at least you can tell from the dim light that is coming from a streetlight about half a block away. Jamie steps back and closes the latched door of the trunk of the back of the SUV. And there's a moment where she looks up at you intensely. You can see her gray piercing eyes. The moon almost reflects off them as she looks up at you, almost awaiting for what you want to do. There's like a kind of frenzied, expression on marco's face uh part of him just wants to part of him just wanted to start feeding then but he knew it wasn't the right 
wasn't the right uh, time or, or place. Uh, so it like kind of took him some restraint to close the door. And he's going to kind of turn away and just walk to the driver's side of the vehicle and step inside the vehicle and wait for Jamie to get into the passenger side. And then he's just going to begin driving. Jamie's kind of caught off guard by this because she was the one who drove here, but she realizes can sense her body language that you are almost on the brink of frenzy. We would say seeing the source there. So she kind of looks at you skeptically, but then she walks towards the passenger door. And as you make your way around the driver's side, you see the door still open. You can see the overhead light in the front is on. And you're able to see the clean tan leather of this Escalade. As you sit down, you can feel the comfort of the chair, of the seat, the plushness. Do you feel like you need to make a self-control roll? Or are you able to control it, do you think? I think he's not planning on going far. Okay. I think he just wants to leave the scene. But mm. he wants to... It's like it's like he's driving and he needs to go to the bathroom or something. Like He's just like... Uh, he He's like trying to find he's going quickly and then he's just abruptly stopping and uh this might be an abandoned parking lot this might be just a dark looking street you know it's not doesn't have to be too secret especially the way that he's feeling right now he's feeling he's feeling very desperate and um he's not going to like uh he's not he he doesn't really feel like afraid of taking risks right now like this is net very necessary so why don't you give me a perception and street a perception streetwise roll difficulty six three and you can re-roll that 10 if you would like it didn't automatically re-roll the 10 i'm not sure why so three successes you're almost driving a little too fast at first you realize as you're going down the street that you found this man on you're going about 60 and you look and you see that the, like the speed limit's 30 right now and you quickly turn onto a street that seems to run parallel with a busier street. Like there's this, these businesses that are facing the busier street, but you're driving along a street where you can kind of see the back of the businesses. And to the right, you can see like older homes. And you're driving along and you quickly see that there is almost like a strip mall looking area. You can see there is a parking lot where people can park in the back there. You can see that there's this large green dumpster that's kind of back there too for whomever rents or leases out these rooms in the strip mall. And you peel into the parking lot of that because you don't see any lights. There's no street lights that are nearby here. There are some on the street, but not by where you're at right now. But also as you're driving, you can kind of see that there's a space between the strip mall and another business. And you're able to park between the two and you actually are have privacy because in front of you where normally you would see this busier street there's like an alley wall so someone on the other end going into these businesses wouldn't see that there's an alley behind this wall here it almost looked like the two businesses are connected in a weird way if you were to look at from the other angle and you pull your vehicle into there what do you do i throw it into park i don't turn the car off at all and i basically jump out of the car i don't even bother to close the door behind me and I walk around back. I basically throw the, you know, I open the latch for the back door and I lift it open and, you know, I'm kind of pushing it past that like hydraulic thing that's, that allows it to open slowly. And I'm just forcefully pushing it open. And I grab him by the back of the shirt and, and rip him from the back of the vehicle. 
as you kind of do that push, you can feel the air coming out of the hydraulic system like it's getting pushed too hard. And you grab them, you can hear the passenger door open and you hear it close and you can hear like clacking of feet. And you, as you pull this guy out, he's still unconscious, you know, and he almost like falls like three feet. Like you pull him out and he falls on the ground. You can see like Jamie looking directly at you too and looks up at you. And you can tell she's trying to like read your, 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 read your emotional state right now. And she's kind of almost, you know, from the way that she is looking and her mouth is tightening like she is trying to formulate something to say to you but yet she's kind of being hesitant then finally she looks at you and she says do you think this is the wisest thing to do this right here as she's saying it it's too late and um it's almost like i've gone to hoist him up a little bit and then i just lose control and i just sink into him and i'm just deeply deeply absorbed in it so question are you just trying to take three and call it done or are you letting go letting the beast go i would like to just take three but i don't know because i'm only at two right now so i don't know if that's going to yeah let me affect my ability to to break away from this let me uh have you roll a self-control roll please and we'll do difficulty five because uh you only have two blood right now so it looks like you got one success there. So you sink your teeth into him. And the moment you sink your teeth into his neck, you feel his body spasm. Almost like you biting into him has woken him up from this slumbered, unconscious state that the brain trauma he received from Jamie put him in. You hear a blood-curdling scream coming from him. Almost like a scream a primal animal scream, but the scream that isn't heard from people in its most genuine form. This is a scream of a mother who has lost her child, a scream of a man who has lost an appendage. Once he realizes the pain has caught up to him and the adrenaline has flown out of his body. This is a scream of someone who's lost their life partner. And it's coming from this man as you're taking his blood from him, this vitae. And you feel his hand slapping across your face. Like you can feel his thumbs are trying to feel for your eye sockets as he's trying to push you away, but he can't get that angle. He can't see you because you have his head pushed away to his neck is fully exposed. And he's screaming as like his hands are getting like slapping across your face. He's grabbing your hair, trying to pull your hair away from you. You can feel the hair follicles. If they were still alive and those pain receptors were still firing at the rate they used to, you would feel a sharp pain and annoyance. And as you're lost in this moment, one of your eyes open, your right eye opens, the one that is farther away from the man as you are drinking deeply of him. And you see Jamie come up on her knees and she starts punching this man in the face to get him to stop screaming. And you see here this thud almost like a meat tenderizer hitting a steak. And as you're drinking, you can almost feel this wave upon wave upon wave of vitae bursting in your mouth that goes along with the cadence of her punching him in his face until you hear like a moaning. You heard maybe a couple bones crack, maybe a couple teeth you heard fall onto the blacktop and almost in your mesmerized state you're in could hear them fall off the blacktop. Till finally you lift up your head 
and you see Jamie is standing, looking down at you. And you look down at the man and you almost cannot recognize his face at this moment. Both his eyes are completely swollen. His mouth is a bloody mess. Blood is slowly busting from his lips like in bubbles to go along with his breath as he's wheezing because he could barely breathe through his broken nose, but he's at least not screaming. And she looks down at you and you can see this almost like this anger for a little bit, but then she slowly steps away and walks back towards the passenger side of the car. She leaves you to yourself and lets you collect yourself. What are you doing? I stand up off the man and I'm kind of looking down. He's almost exasperated if that's a thing that uh, Kindred can be. He would almost look out of breath if that was possible. And he's just looking down, almost disgusted. He has like this look of revulsion on his face as he looks at this, as he looks at what he's done. And he feels this tremendous amount of shame. But at the same time, he thinks this is the way it always is when it comes down to doing this. This is always the way it turns out. And he almost relishes that primal scream that he almost relishes that moment of pain he shares with somebody when he, when he does this. And, um, and he like, he looks down at, at just this heap of a, of a person, this person whose life he's changed forever, no doubt. And part of him is just uncaring. He's just, this is the way it always has to be. And he walks over to the driver's side of the, of the car and uh, the door's still open. And uh, before he steps in, he just takes one last look at the man and just almost like remembering him, you know, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't forget doing this. This is no small moment. Every time he does this is an important moment in his life. It's a powerful moment where he robs something from somebody and he experiences their pain and they, he feels it put out into the world. And as like a, an occultist, he, he, he feels power in that, but he does feel this kind of like shame for, for doing it. So he looks back one last time to just remember the man. And then he gets back in the car. Is it that like sense of control that he Marco got from like his activities before he was embraced that like the whole sadomasochist side of feeling control, but then also that weird shame that came along with it. That, that is there anything tied to that or what caused that? Yeah, there's definitely like a connection there where he, you know, his, his life before being embraced, he was always kind of involved in these like sadomasochistic kind of like acts of like indulgence and then shame. And that was just like this weird cycle that he always like takes part in just like um, indulging and then like self shame and just like guilt and stuff like that. So he, he just, this is like a mirrored reflection of that part of his life. Um, and that it's almost like uh, the same type of thing just reflected in this, like in this part of his life. And it's just that he, he, indulges in like this ultimate satisfaction for a moment and then he feels this guilt of like what he's done but at the same time it's like he's been down this road so many times he knows that this is just the way it has to be and like there's there's no use moping about it but it does hurt him a little bit but so he just tries to remember the people that he victimizes it's a atone for them i guess is it like tied to the i mean 
Margot had a pretty traumatic childhood, man, and a pretty off the wall childhood. You know, like the, what happened with his mother. I mean, that 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 can scar a kid. I mean, he's five years old, but you know, obviously left an impact. And then the weird way he was raised, and the weird antisocial seclusion that he experienced at the hand of his uncles. I mean, do you think that ties into all this? I think it ties into it, but I think he would have had a chance if it weren't for Vite being introduced into his life. If if he if this didn't happen to him, he might have had a chance to recover from a lot of those traumas and and become a a, a regular person or become like a functioning person. But because of because of the turn that his life took instead, it's just exasperated all of the all of like the the issues that he had, I guess. And it's turned him into like a monster. So does he have like that this weird like it's not weird, I guess I should choose my words more carefully, but does he have this this almost like this escapism fantasy of my life could have been different, you know, like like I could be a normal person? Are those like thoughts that continually it sounds like that's a trend in the way that he thinks sometimes? Like he takes pleasure in it, but then he has this flip side where he like he yearns for like almost like this normal life that he wishes he could have had. It's not like a fantasy as much as it's just like a realization. Like at this point, he's he's lived enough to kind of just like know like a little bit about like people. And he just kind of sees that like maybe his bad patterns could have been corrected, but not certainly not now. Certainly not after all this. Certainly not after (laughs) the type of things he's done and continues to do. And he just knows that he's basically irredeemable from that from that perspective does that sadden him and if it does has that gotten stronger as the years have gone on though is that like a weight that gets heavier for him to like a realization that gets heavier for him to carry around in his head or is it something that gets easier and lighter as time goes on he he like convinces himself that he'll eventually find peace in his in his current way or that he'll find something else and because like part of him is like starting to abandon like i mean to speak like in game terms like part of him is starting to stray from like his current path i guess towards like paths that are probably more like in line with like his practice and his art because the more he does things like that the more it separates him from he's already a person with no empathy yeah um the more he does things in this type of dark art it separates him from his feeling of humanity and his feeling of connection to, to human beings. And it may become a long lost memory eventually, especially once you see like the example of like Rita, you know, or I mean, not to compare Rita and Roman, but even Roman's been around for a while, even though he, you know, only received the proxy kiss, but I mean, did he start that way or did it get worse with time? You don't know. And it's like these conditions that everyone seems to deal with, or the even the stuff you heard about Philip, you know, from his the the uh, the spirits of his mother and sister. I think you even said it once too at one point where, I mean, who are you to judge when you heard it? I asked you reaction, yeah, you know, like it's what we do, and and it's a realization, like, oh yeah, you know, and this is a completely different character compared to like a lot of vampire characters who don't have to like fully step into that dark side as part of their normal existence with you being a member of the family. This was something that like you, you, like you said, if I was never given this white day, I'd be a totally different person. 
where there's a lot of people who think they can still be that person. You, you have accepted, like, I can't because I was given the vitae and that was, that choice was taken from me. So it was really interesting insights as you close the door and start the vehicle and, and start driving off. You hear Jamie clear her throat and she's looking out the passenger window and she turns and looks at you and you're not quite on the highway yet. So you can't get like, you can kind of see her a lot better than you would on the highway. And she says, is this going to become a trend? And Marco is, he's silent, but his face is stern and he's just driving, not looking at Jamie. Listen, I know I have to choose my words carefully, but this last evening and the evening before, this is twice where things have gotten like this. I think you need an outsider's view here, Marco, if I can speak freely. And there's a moment where she's like, kind of like walking up to that line and like waving her like toe over it just to see if she can get, go over it with you. Marco waits a second and then almost sarcastically, he's like, well, go ahead then, Jamie. Tell me what you think. And you hear like, <clears throat> like a clearing of her throat that she tends to do when she's thinking before she speaks. It's almost like this pivot point, a switch she turns on in her head. And she looks at you and she's never been afraid to look at you when she speaks to you, but she looks at you and she says to you, you realize that the pressure you're probably feeling is because we are somewhere new and we're not stable here like we were in Boston. And I get that pressure can build up. And I know normally you have releases that you, where we came from, where you can go and handle that, but we can't continue to have this happen. What, what do you see? What do you see, Marco, when you look at someone like Rita? What do you see from your perspective? And he's just like, he feels kind of stumped when he when he tries to vocalize it. He's just like, what do you mean? She's she's my mentor. She's everything. And I understand that, but but you want to know what I see when I see her, just from my moral mortal perspective, my the eyes that haven't had the shrouds lifted like yours. And he's like quiet for a second, like almost as if he he's going to tell her he doesn't want to hear what, what she has to say, if it's going to be like negative about Rita. yeah. But then he just kind of like after a moment's pause, he's just like, go on, tell me. Tell me I what see, you think. I see something alien, something I can't relate to, something that's been around since my grandfather, my great grandfather's bones have been dust. Marco, why do you think she's been around that long? Do you see, do you think she makes mistakes like this? What just happened now? Or what happened with Roman? Jamie, I think it goes without saying that I was never destined for the same greatness that Rita has why do, achieved. Why do you think she called you here then? She could have called anyone from the family here. Maybe I'm disposable. For what? He's reflecting on it all now and he's kind of just thinking about it. And he's like, that alien feeling, that feeling that you get from Rita. Mm -hmm. Every day that I'm alive, I feel myself connecting more with that. I feel myself drawn closer to that and farther away from life as I knew it. And it scares me sometimes. And sometimes I feel perfectly content. That's a gift, Marco. And what I'm trying to tell you is when you get to that plane of thinking of existence, you'll look at things from less of an emotional level. She, I don't think, thinks, I don't think she thinks you are expendable. If anything, she probably thinks that Roman is. She had to have known 
that Roman would not be happy that she pulled in someone else. She had to have known that you would talk to him. What did she tell you when, when, when you came here? She said that there are two brothers missing that serve her that she wants found. She said you wanted you to talk to Roman and she wanted you to help by speaking to the Toyador to, to, to prevent whatever tarnishing of her reputation, of your family's reputation is going on here in this city. How, how, if anything, Roman is getting thrown to the wolves by you. You say that she mentors you. I mean, you've known her for how long, Marco? Does she seem preoccupied to you? Does she seem like there's other things on her mind? Does she seem like she's handing you this responsibility instead of her having to deal with it herself? And when Marco thinks about it, and and here's like something to consider though. He really does listen to Jamie and um, really does take like what she says into consideration. If this was like a Shakespeare play or something, she would probably be the one that convinces him to do like the crazy thing, the off the wall thing. But as he's like listening to her, he's really just buying into like every single thing that she's saying. And he's just like, you're right. Like I'm not disposable. Roman did sense this. Like why else would he have taunted me with that type of arrogance? Why else would he have provoked me in such a way when I went there uh, on friendly terms? Like he, he sensed this. He sensed himself being edged out, as I often feel myself, feeling that pressure of being edged out of the family. He was feeling it too. He must know that it's it's true, you know, in his case. He must know that maybe Rita favors me. Maybe, maybe she sees great things in me. And he's just like kind of like um, feeling this kind of like relief. He's just like listening to Jamie and he's like, all right, well then what do I do? That's, listen. I serve you, and that's your call. But what I can say is, I not only do I care about your safety, I care about mine. And actions that just happen, like that happened back there. And you can tell, you notice when she's talking to you, like she's rubbing her hand, like her knuckles on her hand. And you can see that like her hand is like bruised. You can see like blood is on her hand. That's not discreet. What happened with Marco's not discreet. So I don't know. I'm here to support you. You have to make the decision, but I'll help you make that. I'll help you. Whatever decision you make, I'll help you to the best of my ability to have that go through Marco. Marco's quiet for a little bit. And then kind of like when he feels like the conversation is over, he's going to just be like, when I looked into the woman's eyes, I saw flies. Her spirit reached out from beyond. Flies were pouring out of her mouth. I would have been absorbed, I think, if my mother's spirit didn't save me. And you know that that Jamie's knowledge of these type of things is like nil. You know her strength is in like I hate I hate to use this term. I sound like, I almost sound like um Will Ferrell and Anchorman, like books of knowledge and everything. No, but you know Jamie's strengths are in the financial and the planning and the organizational structural aspects. And it's almost like this weird relationship that was forced upon you two. It's almost like a arranged marriage in a weird way that like some people in the family felt that pairing her up with you, you, I don't know if you often wonder if it's like, did she, they pair her up with me to help me because I'm weak in this stuff. Or did they pair me with her because they see something in her and they want her to be more exposed to this side of existence and i'll let you answer this but like how do you think conversations between you two 
Like whenever you try to bring up like some really intense, I mean, it's not a huge leap to believe that's true because of vampires and what she has like been subtly exposed to. But how do you think she reacts usually when you talk about this stuff or how do conversations go between you and her whenever you bring up the the other side? I'll just say this. She definitely has no idea what I'm talking about, has no idea what that could like possibly mean. Yeah. And probably is like alarmed, but dismisses it. And the way that Marco sees it, like he's never like going to explain this to her. Maybe it's best if she just thinks of it all as hypothetical. But he's just trying to get something off his chest that's bothering him. It's not going to make any sense to her. It wouldn't. And it's almost like I would say that it's this acceptance that she's had, that there's things that you're going to do that that's not going to make sense to her. Like she knows something had to happen with those two bodies that she had to find a way to get rid of in that room. And she knows like setting up the room, but she's never shown like any interest in wanting to know it. Has Marco ever like thought about maybe like one day initiating to it or what? No, definitely not. Uh, because in his view, even if even if she receives the the gift, this is not the path you want to go down. It's a it's a hard path, and it's a it's a path of loss, and it's a path of separation. It's a path of of losing yourself to the unknown and the other side. And every time he does it, he feels a little bit different, a little bit changed. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't want her to, to like, he cares for her deeply and wouldn't want her to have a hard life, you know? And it's like, he already feels like, yeah, they're in this, this kind of like chaotic family together. And there's a lot of problems that go with it, but he would still always just hope for her to have the best life. And that would definitely mean if, if, you know, maybe even if for reasons beyond her control, she gets brought over, he would hope that this is something she wouldn't want to or have to pursue. So, it's not uh, so that... he definitely wouldn't like talk to her about it. Yeah. But like, you know, there's probably just moments where. Just like, having someone to speak to about This it. is just like almost like a breakdown for him. Yeah. He's just, he doesn't know what to say. And he's just like he has to just talk about the thing that just scared him to his core. Yeah. That's the one of the reasons why he's acting the way he is right now. So when you say that she looks at you and she has that, again, that furrowed look on her brow and she looks at you for a second, her eyes squinted. She's like, so what does that mean about our situation? Then did you accomplish what was asked of you? Well, it's hard to say really, Jamie, it's really, it's hard to say. I think I think that the information I've received gives us an upper hand in some ways. Okay, so an upper hand at what then? That's what I want to know. What is our goal here now? Like, what is your goal here now? You have this information. You have an upper hand. You have ammunition. But what do you think is the main priority for you right now for what you're here for? Maybe you need to look at it from Rita's perspective too. What do you think it is? I'll carry on as I was instructed. I'll report back to Philip with what I've been able to discover and I'll tell him what I've learned and see what he thinks I should do next. I'll continue acting as a, as a humble guest to this city. Do you think this is going to start the rehabilitation of the family's reputation? Like Rita said, I think it'll definitely help to build bridges, but 
I'm worried about how he's going to take the information that I, I believe I found. And I'm worried if he tries to meet what I say with skepticism, especially if news about what happens to Roman were to come to light, they could view me differently. Rita could view me differently. We don't really know. But I think it's in our best interest. And I'm like looking at Jamie as I say it for me to go ahead, meet again with Philip, tell him the things that I've discovered. Yeah. And I think if you're worried about the impact that has, maybe start looking, we could start thinking about building influence in the city and other allies of your kind. I'm not used to this. I'm just used to family affairs in Boston. And, you know, I know that there's other, other kindred in the city, but I, this, from all my understanding, it seems like it's just layers upon layers of politics. That's how it works for these kind mostly. They're not a family like us. Indeed. And I feel so alone out here. I think it would serve us best if I were able to seek out members of the family that we could maybe confide, trust in, build some kind of... Well, oh, you mean other members of this Camarilla? Or do you mean... No, no, just our family specifically. Maybe meet again with Rita and... Okay, I can... Do you want I me think to set that up? I think, like, basically, he wants to see if he can, like... I'm trying to think of how to, like, phrase it. Mm-hmm. Like, he wants to see if he can, like, work with Rita to try to figure out more about, like, what he saw. Like, maybe oh. he can, like, identify... Yeah. Identify the the people that he saw... And then like, maybe that way there, he would be able to, I don't know, kind of like have more of a understanding of the, what he saw and be able to interpret it to fill up or to like be selective what what he says or see exactly exactly what. Yeah. Like he, he feels like the more he knows, the more control of the situation he'll have. Mm. And also he just feels like um, he can't seem like he's hiding from the family. Oh. So like if that means like if that means like um like meeting with Rita or like just I don't know reconvening with Rita. Yeah. Because that's his only other like family connection here. And just maybe seeing like if if he could if there's like other members of the family here that he could like use for like help or like use for like, you know, is there Ooh. other like you know cousins here that would would be able to help an out of towner like me, like with what what you're asking me to do, you know? For sure, yeah, that's a good idea. So Jamie nods and she's like, "I will contact her people. Do you want to try to see her tonight, or do you want to wait till tomorrow?" I think we should go tonight. She's like, I think "Okay, it's important to make haste." And you see, she takes her cell phone out of her pocket and she flips it open, and you can see the green illumination that it provides as you're driving on the highway now and you can hear her talking gently on the phone and you can hear some i mean you can hear the conversation but i'd almost say like you're more focused on the road and you're kind of like hearing it as a secondary and you realize this game that she's playing where she's kind of calling different people setting up times and appointments because you know and you've even start to do this but you know especially in boston and with the family how like lines of communication are never completely fully open because of everyone's own safety. So usually there's different communication methods, just like even like the, the flight that you took from Boston to, to Minneapolis, where it was like a two day flight, just because of like the diversions and wanting to be careful. I mean, that's how your family has survived for so long. And, and eventually Jamie's an expert at this too. Like that's the thing. And he's used to this kind of like um, 
like these long ordeals to like get through to like different members of the family and stuff because like like you said everything is kind of like shrouded in that sort of like deliberate secrecy but he like is like calm and trusting in Jamie's like ability to like make this happen so he's just kind of like silent as she's on the yeah it's almost like logistics for her are almost like what the family art is to you where she speaks of it and you have a grasp of what she is speaking of, but you don't quite understand the fluidity and the language that she uses and the maneuvers that she uses, but you just know the end results. And eventually after one call, another call, a handful of calls, she closes the phone and she looks at you and she's like, we can head there now. Chronicles of Darkness Ultimate Evil is a game set in 1987 in Bismarck, North Dakota, and deals with themes such as the satanic panic but also childhood and the loss of innocence. I feel that's where Adam and I grew the chemistry that you probably hear now in Vampire the Masquerade Eidolon. Give it a try.